Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. So let's let's go back to uh, the DEXA scan, the bone density. So this patient who's seeing you has osteoporosis. I'm sure they're going to ask you, how frequently do I need this DEXA scan? What what is the rough ballpark answer? You know what I mean? Uh, I think there's there's not a lot of evidence to say that getting bone density testing more frequently than once every two years or oh, once okay. every other year okay. probably is is makes a huge difference. Okay. Um, and so the the analogy I use here is uh, bone density tends to change relatively slowly compared to the margin of error or the, the uh, precision of a bone density test, right? Of mm-hmm. these bone density machines. So if you imagine, you know, you're, you're taking a picture with a camera that doesn't focus perfectly, right? You know, it, you can get a pretty good picture, but it's a little fuzzy around the edges, yeah. right? And so if you're trying to, uh, to track a glacier that's melting, right? And you have a camera that's kind of fuzzy, if you take pictures too frequently, it's going to look like nothing's changing, right? It's going to look like nothing's nice happening. Nice analogy. Right? Um, but um, so huh. that's why it's actually, you know, and some of my patients, they say, I don't understand. Why are we waiting so long? Why don't we do it more frequently? I yeah. feel like I should be getting these things every six months. Yeah. Um, and it can actually be a little misleading if you're getting them so frequently, sure. especially if you're only comparing to the most recent test, you know, right before, which is generally what we're doing. Um then it looks like nothing is changing, right? Yeah. Um, now, there are uh, definitely recommendations out there to say that maybe after starting certain treatments, you might consider getting a bone density test after uh, 12 or 18 months mm-hmm. to, to ensure that uh, the, the treatment is, is being absorbed and, mm-hmm. is, and is doing what we want it to do. This mm-hmm. is probably most specifically with oral bisphosphonates that sure. you don't want to have a patient on an oral bisphosphonate for maybe too long uh, and, and have the oral bisphosphonate not backfire. Not work that full time. Um, So there are some people who might recommend that. Um, I still tend to stick with once every two year dose or once every two year DEXAs, um, especially for patients that are not taking oral bisphosphonates. um, I really don't see uh, a rationale for getting it more frequently than every two years. Now, here's what I think is going to be practical for a lot of people. When you get the DEXA, I know that my wife likes to do this. You know, she tells her patients to try to go to the same place you know, when you get the deck, so there's little things in the way it's done and how it's done and how you read it that make a difference. Do you, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Um, and again, this is a, a shortcoming of, mm-hmm. of DEXA as a as a tool mm-hmm. um, is that uh, we've got lots of different types of DEXA machines out there mm-hmm. that are made by uh, different companies and different manufacturers, mm-hmm. and the results that you get from uh, these different types of manufacturers can can be very different. Um, and uh, and we've even seen that, like I said, this is a very imprecise kind of a tool, and you can even get very different results based on the technician who's running the machine, right? Yeah, um, of course. And, uh, and from machine to machine. So even within manufacturers, even if you, you use, oh, this machine is the same manufacturer at this facility as at that facility, even those, uh, those, those machines and, and the technicians that 
run those machines might get very different results based on how they uh, position the the leg, getting your your hip measurement, mm -hmm. how they position the spine, getting your spine measurement. Um, so uh, so if possible, yes, you ideally want patients to go to the the same facility, uh, get it on the same machine. Obviously, this is out of the patient's control, but or, getting the or same the technician controls yeah, them. <laughs> sure, right, right. Um, but so, yes, if possible, you mm. want to do that. But, you know, obviously, if a patient moves it moves to a different place or, it is what or it if is. the facility shuts down, then there's only so much you can do. And before we go into drugs, I'm, I'm really pounding home a lot about the, you know, the, the diagnosis and the DEXA. So, you know, sometimes as doctors and healthcare providers, we'll say things and patients will just accept what we say, like a T-score. Sure. You know what I mean? And I know that, how do you know, what do we look at when we're at one of these DEXA scans is like a T-score. So, you know, I found out what my wife was referring to, what she wanted me to ask you, is the percent bone loss. Mm. Like that's another value you can get. So mm -hmm. my question mm -hmm. to you and to the audience is, uh, what are we looking at when we look at these bone density things? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know that the most common thing in many magazines and articles is T-score. Mm -hmm. And is that what we're looking at? What are we looking at? And what do you think about this percent bone loss? You know what I mean? It's, it's a, that's my wife's favorite. Yeah, yeah, know? great question. Yeah. So the T-score the is what, what you would use to uh, to make your initial diagnosis, okay. right? So when you get your, when a person gets their first uh, bone density test, um, you're gonna look at the T-score to sort of gauge where do they fall? Are they in a, uh, based purely on, if, if I'm going based purely on their bone density, do they yep. fall in a low risk category, a medium risk category, or a high risk category? Okay. Which we might call quote unquote normal bone density, yeah. osteopenia, yeah. osteoporosis. Okay. These are the terms that, that basically are low, medium, high risk, right? Okay. So that's where your T-score comes in when you look at that first bone density test. Mm -hmm. Now, if, on that first bone density test, if they already fall into the high risk osteoporosis category, when you go forward from there, the T-scores the may not matter as much. Now, what you're really going to care about is how is their bone density changing from time to time, uh, right? If you're going to, especially if you're starting them on treatment, which hopefully, you know, most, if not all patients mm -hmm. with uh, osteoporosis are going to be on, uh, on treatment. Um, so what you care about is what is the percent change of the bone mineral density, the BMD, yeah. because that's going to help you decide whether the treatment that you're administering is effective or not. Right? Interesting. Um, so my question, so are we, you know, you've taken my board review course, many of the questions that we do in all our little question banks, give you a T-score, you get a mm -hmm. therapy, then they give you the follow-up T-score. Mm -hmm. So is that not as clinically accurate when we're doing T-score to T-score? It should be T-score mainly at the, the at point zero for mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Super helpful. What category yeah. are you in? Right. But follow-up, maybe they should be referring to more of this percent bone loss. Correct. You know I mean? So I, I guess if you saw that the T-score went up at every location, then you could assume, or that went up or stayed yeah. the same, yeah. then without knowing what the exact bone mineral density measurements are, you could say, oh, okay, well, the bone density didn't go down, right? Yeah. It either stayed the same or it went up, right? Yeah. But otherwise, if any of the T-scores go, go down, that is not telling you really to what extent the bone density went down. You would need to know the raw BMD, bone mineral density measurements uh, for both so that you can calculate a percentage change yeah. um, without getting too deep into it. As you know, T-scores are a measurement of standard deviations. They're yeah. a statistical measurement, and it doesn't make sense to talk about a percent change of a standard deviation. Yeah. That's not a 
if that's not a meaningful measure. I think, you know, a lot of med students are taking notes right now. And this okay, is a good. great time that we're talking about this because it is confusing. And that is a really nice thing. And so I'm going to give kudos to my wife. She was spot on about that, you know. But she likes you, by the way. Oh, I yeah, like her. Yeah. She's, she's on it. Yeah. So, okay. This is great that we talked about that. So, you know, I want to make sure we, we focus on some of the, the, the therapies. You know what I mean? Sure. And yes, if someone's counting, maybe it wasn't exactly 10 questions. He did a lot more. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, he's so smart. I combined some questions over here, okay? So for you people counting. <laughs> All right, so for for, for drug therapy, you know what I mean? Um, let's talk about hormone replacement, just as a, a broad term. Um, are there roles for estrogen, uh, testosterone, something called a calcitonin, or these estrogen wannabes, these, I think they're called CIRM, select estrogen receptor modulators. Yeah. What about these hormone thingies? Is there a big role for them? Uh, there absolutely is, is no doubt that, uh, that these therapies you mentioned help uh, uh, decrease bone loss, stabilize bone density, and more importantly, decrease fracture risk. Okay. Um, so even uh, you know, hormone replacement therapy for a, uh, a menopausal woman, um, estrogen with progesterone as needed, uh, if needed in the presence of mm -hmm. the uterus, but mm -hmm. the estrogen is really kind of the, the key player here, yeah. as we talked about, mm -hmm. that uh, women, uh, postmenopausal women who use estrogen therapy um, uh, have less bone loss and lower risks of fractures as mm -hmm. compared to women who uh, don't go on hormone replacement therapy, mm -hmm. um, assuming that they're not using some other osteoporosis uh, sure. medication. Yeah. Um, so do I think that hormone replacement therapy has a role here? For, for some women, yes. Um, uh, if, a, if a woman is taking hormone replacement therapy for another reason, I think, you know, for, for most people now, the, the, the most clear indication to go on hormone replacement therapy is for the treatment of hot flashes. Um, and so for a woman who is taking hormone replacement therapy to treat hot flashes, um, there's no doubt that that woman will, will benefit in terms of her bones as well, right? And, but one of the main reasons, and I probably just stole your thunder here, is that it's the side effects, right, of right, sure. estrogen. Why that's not the standard of care for osteoporosis, right? Sure, right. So I think over over the years, um, hormone replacement therapy used to be uh, very much a, a first-line therapy to help mm -hmm. reduce the risk of osteoporotic fracture. And um, to your point, uh, it has fallen down the chain a little bit uh, for, for many practitioners. And as far as sort of the the mainstream guidelines out there go, hormone replacement therapy has fallen fallen down to sort of a, a lower tier option um, because we have uh, other pharmacotherapies that are that are very effective and other pharmacotherapies that don't have the increased risk of uh, breast cancer um, and uh, potentially of uh, VTE. Yeah. Uh, clotting, VTE, clotting, right? Clotting out clotting, there yeah. um, that, uh, that estradiol therapy does. Now, what I, I'm not going to let you go yet. The CERMs, no, no. you know, I mean, there are certain drugs out there, hormones out there, they're only activating certain receptors. So it's not like giving here some estrogen, right? These are ones that will attack certain receptors that really will benefit that that bone turnover, lack mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. term. Do you, do you use those drugs? I think their brand names are like Avista, give me some money, uh, or <laughs> known as Reloxifene. Do you still use those drugs? Yeah, so Reloxifene uh, is, is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, just like you said. Um, it 
uh, you know, and on the most basic level, it blocks es estrogen activity in the breast tissue. So yeah. it actually decreases the risk of breast cancer, obviously a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it acts like estrogen um, in the bone, um, mm. which obviously also a yeah. good thing. Um, so it seems like a very much an ideal drug. Um, yeah. And uh, it is still used out there and it is still uh, uh, FDA approved as a, as a medication to reduce the risk of osteoporotic fracture. It also has sort of fallen down the chain a little bit um, in terms of guideline recommendations okay. for uh, osteoporosis treatment um, because uh, there are some risks associated with it. So the, the clotting risk is still there, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, so there's an increased risk of, uh, of blood clots, um, potentially also an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, and strokes. Okay. Um, although the risk is probably small in the average person. The, yeah. the main reason why raloxifene has sort of fallen down the chain is that when you look at fracture prevention, it seems to do a, a pretty good job at reducing the risk of vertebral fractures, fractures in the spine, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't have as good of a track record in terms of reducing the risk of non-vertebral fractures. Ah. So if we think about hip fractures, wrist fractures, uh, fract osteoporotic or fragility fractures outside that of the makes spine. Sense. Um, now, obviously, a huge percentage of, of uh, osteoporotic fractures do occur in the spine. So it's not like raloxifene is is useless. It certainly is is better than nothing for for mm -hmm. certain patients. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason it's fallen down is because we have other options that have proven fracture reduction uh, uh, or risk proven reduction of fracture risk um, in both the spine and outside of the spine. So I know we don't use this a lot for osteoporosis. But for people who may have come across the word calcitonin, not mm -hmm. a very popular drug. Mm -hmm. It's a nasal spray, right? So, uh, so calcitonin, when it's used for uh, osteoporosis uh, fracture prevention, yes, it's administered as a nasal spray. And let me explain that calcitonin is actually something that's going to build your bones. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, the opposite of like a a parathyroid hormone that's going to like you know break stuff down, right? It, it, it builds your bones. Uh, unfortunately, not exactly. Um, okay. Calcitonin is still considered an anti-resorptive agent, meaning okay. that it's still, it's, its end result, its end mechanism is that it inhibits osteoclasts. Okay. So the mechanism by which calcitonin would help your bones mm -hmm. is it would inhibit the demolition crew. It inhibits um, the demolition crew. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all the all the medications we've talked about thus far um, are all medications that inhibit the osteoclast that okay. uh, that slow down the demolition crew. Okay. And that one just why do we use it? Simply put, it's just uh, no one wants to snort the, the drug. That, that's that poor data. That's one. Much. That's one part of it. Yeah. Um, the ability to fracture to reduce the risk of fracture um, probably not as strong as many of our other agents. There's also um, some concerns that it might be associated with a cancer risk, multiple Ew. different types of cancer. Okay. Um, although that that was you know not uh, not a a such a strong uh, problem that it was you know taken off the market or anything. Yeah. It still is available, um, but it's definitely fallen fallen down the chain. Any of sure. your partners or yourself prescribe calcitonin to anyone for for osteoporosis? I have uh, at this current time zero patients on it for osteoporosis. I've I've had <laughs> I've inherited patients who were on it and I generally take them off of it. And last thing for hormones, I'm in the hormone mood right now. Yeah. Men, me and you. Mm -hmm. Testosterone. 
So testosterone would be expected to be helpful for bone health uh, in in men if they have low testosterone. Um, so you have to get the blood work first. Correct. You have to prove that um, that that a given man has low testosterone okay. first mm-hmm. before you would think that the uh, the benefits of starting testosterone replacement therapy, exogenous testosterone, would outweigh the risks of testosterone therapy. And, so, and would you, and that leads to my second question, mm-hmm. if someone, before giving drug therapy to a man, mm-hmm. would you say testosterone first and make sure those levels are adequate? Because when we talk about women, we're not saying estrogen first. We're saying drug first based on safety and all these things put together. How is it for men? For men, the recommendation would be obviously any man that you any man that you diagnose with osteoporosis based on fracture history, DEXA, uh, mm-hmm. and or fracture risk assessment mm-hmm. tool, um, you should get a testosterone level on that man. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick note on the testosterone levels: make sure you get them in the morning and make sure you get them while the patient is fasting. Um, Man, you throw so many pearls uh, out there. I didn't there. want to throw you off, Damn, but I had to say that. that. that I, mean, that I mean, you threw me off. You threw me off. But, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, me and you have a lot of t- banter about mm-hmm, endocrine mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, cortisol, mm-hmm. super high in the morning, low at night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is, is testosterone what you call diurnal? Or correct. It's, correct. It, so it's naturally in the morning, it's what? Higher me? in the morning, oh. lower in the afternoon and the evening. Significantly? Yeah, yeah, and in many men, the the significant the difference is significant, okay. wow. and so in uh, in a in a man who is uh, truly hypogonadal, yeah. he should have low testosterone levels all day long, including in the morning. Okay, um, but a a man with normal gonadal function mm-hmm. may have testosterone levels that appear to be low because mm-hmm. the reference ranges that you yeah. see on a lab report are constructed using early morning peak testosterones. Mm-hmm. Um, what about so, the fasting? The fasting part. You mean full on fasting, like mean, eight, eight hour fast? What happens if I eat? What happens to my testosterone if I eat? Testosterone levels drop after eating, especially after consuming carbohydrates in the morning. Is it because insulin has influence on testosterone? It's probably a variety of different factors, but okay. yeah, I'm sure. You see how insulin. I kind of quickly pulled that I love out. Men, you're always all the hormones, <laughs> Doctor Raj. I love it. Yeah. Okay, no, these are great. Okay, so um, but, but so to answer yeah, your question, answer every your question, every man with osteoporosis should get a testosterone level check if. The testosterone is low, mm-hmm. um, confirmed to be low. Obviously, look for a cause. That's another another uh, another podcast. <laughs> um, but um, but that man should be then started on testosterone therapy unless contraindicated. Um, and then probably though also you would uh, start that patient on pharmacotherapy in addition to the testosterone. Okay, not gotcha. in place of. Gotcha. So now we're going to go away from hormonal therapies and go into medications, right? And I put the medications into three categories, you know, uh, bisphosphonates, which you mm-hmm. allude to, which is kind of like the workhorse to go to been around, even when you were probably a med student, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, these can be taken orally, can be taken through the IV. Then there's biologics, always a hot topic, you know what I mean? And we'll talk about, you know, one specific one, denosumab. And I called the other ones anabolic agents, you know, and, and, and I'm going to call these these mimickers of things, like a mimicker of parathyroid hormone, we'll talk about that. And, um, well, let's start with this phosphonates. Is okay. that, you mentioned that's kind of like your go-to. And, and why is that? Is it price? Is it ease of taking it? Is it just data? Why bisphosphonates? Uh, yeah, a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. The, the bisphosphonates remain kind of the, uh, for, for your average 
your average high risk patient, I guess, you yeah. know, your, your, your average osteoporosis patient, uh, bisphosphonates are going to be your go-to, um, bisphosphonates have been around for a long time. Um, yes, definitely around, you know, when I was, they, they were probably around when you were a med student. <laughs> they Dr. probably Rush, were, yeah. they probably um, were. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, no, they've been around for decades. Yeah. Um, bisphosphonates have a long track record. We know, um, generally how they work. Um, we know that they are effective. We know that they're generally pretty safe, um, especially if we, you know, follow some, some sort of proper precautions. Sure. Um, and so they are sort of a good, uh, long-term medication, a very potent osteoclast inhibitor. So mm -hmm. a very potent inhibitor of the demolition Lincoln, crew. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, uh, associated with a, a decreased risk of fracture, um, for the most part, for most of the bisphosphonates, a decreased risk of fracture both in the spine and outside of the spine. Now, in the olden days, mm -hmm. they, God forbid, there was a daily dosing of the drug oral, mm -hmm. and it has its side effects, you know, and I don't want to get into the esophagus and everything, but do you now prescribe it weekly? Do you prescribe it monthly? Or you're more of like a once yearly IV type of guy? Uh, I prescribe all three. Um, I have patients that are on all three. No one uses daily anymore, right? Uh, no, I, I haven't seen a patient on daily okay. on a daily bisphosphonate in a while. Okay. I think it is still available, but probably okay. harder to come by. Okay. The, the sort of standard formulation, which is the cheapest formulation, and yeah. that's what's, yeah. what's most widely available and most widely covered yeah. by insurance plans, is a once weekly formulation okay. of a lender. Um, so that's that's going to be you know probably the the most widely available, most easy to get formulation, safe, effective. Yeah. Uh, I have I have plenty of patients that take that. You brought up uh, once monthly oral formulation as Pay well. Pay me some money, Boniva. There we go, Boniva and uh, an Actinel uh, or, or Zedronate. Are they taken um, off? Uh, they both are still available. Um, I would say uh, uh, maybe you should run with uh, Resedronate a little bit more and uh -huh. try to try to see if you can get something from them. But um, uh, because uh, it, the the sort of feeling now is there's uh, maybe slightly more data showing that Resedronate helps with both vertebral and non-vertebral fractures. Mm -hmm. um, with the uh, the Evandronate, we see. Uh, maybe not as robust data to back up the uh, the non-vertebral. I'm going to tell you, people, it's hard to take medications once a day or multiple yeah, yeah. times a day, but why doesn't they take off? Is it price is the main reason you don't take it? I, would, I like a once a month pill. That's not a big deal. The, for right now, the reason is mostly price, I think. Okay. Um, just that it actually, you know, even though these drugs are generic, um, there are generic versions, yeah. that the monthly formulations are more expensive than the weekly formulation. Okay. So a lot of insurance plans out there will say you got to try the weekly first before we'll pay for the monthly. But from a um, clinician standpoint, if someone mm -hmm. said, hey, Dr. Barnett, I mm -hmm. just want to go on a monthly drug, you're okay with that, Absolutely. Right? I have no problem with it. Now, what about the yearly IV? My mom mm -hmm. took the yearly IV. I believe brand name is Reclass. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I liked it. Mm -hmm. I didn't take it, but I'm saying mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Why not that? I have lots of patients on, on IV Reclass once a year. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, yeah, given the option of taking a pill either once a week or once a month, um, following some, you know, very specific instructions on how to take it versus coming in for a once a year IV infusion. A lot mm -hmm. of patients pick the infusion and I usually ought to be fair, perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. If patients say, you know, I don't care you pick for me, I'll usually pick the IV infusion for them. Nice. And so the, regardless of those weekly, monthly, yearly, they're all the same good data, essentially. More or less. Again, the only one that maybe is a little bit uh, not up to par with the others is Ebandronate or okay. Boniva. Yeah. Um, but Alendronate uh, or Fosamax, Resendronate, yeah. Yeah. Actinel, 
Zoledronic Acid, Reclast, yeah. all looking pretty good. Nice. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.